You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, good morning, church family. If you have a Bible with you, if you will make your way to the letter of Galatians, continuing on in our series through Galatians, titled Freedom in Christ, the Glorious Gospel of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. I want to invite you to follow along as I now read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. May God bless the preaching of His Word. Well, I want to begin this morning by telling on myself. Uh, I, I just want you to know I am not the best at giving people directions on how to get somewhere. Now, if you think I'm exaggerating, now listen, I, I don't get lost. I'm not a guy that when I leave here, I don't know where to go. I, I'm, I'm capable of knowing how to get places. I just can't tell other people how to get places. And if you think I'm exaggerating, here's a, here's a great example. Even though I work here, I go to church here, My kids go to school here. I'm not brand new to the town. Anytime someone asks me, how do you get to LifeGate? I am stumped almost every time. I I do not know how to tell people how to get here. I find it quite challenging to do that, especially if they're new to the area, they don't know Seguin that well, and if they've never been to this part of town, then it's it, it's kind of like I mean, it's if they're from this part of town, you, okay, you know the four way stop. You take well, okay, well if you've never been over here, it, it it's very challenging for me. Now you would think after all of these years, telling someone how to get to our church would not be all that hard, but it is for me. Now before you laugh at me, which is too late. Before you laugh at me or chastise me, which I totally deserve and you have my permission, I welcome it. Please chastise me. It's good for me. 
Um, Before you do that, though, let me pose this question to you. If you're a Christian here this morning, how easy is it for you to tell others how to get to God and find eternal life? You would think it would be really easy to tell people how to find salvation. After all, it really isn't that hard. We just share the gospel, right? (laughs) Pointing people to Jesus is the most important thing we can do. But it's not always easy, is it? It's not always so easy. We find ourselves trying to share our faith with someone and we feel like, I I don't even know what to say. What do I say next? It's, It's not an easy thing to do, to tell people how to get to God and find eternal life, no matter how long we've been a Christian. Well, friends, take heart. The text before us is here to help us because this text is going to help us know how to point people to the Savior. You see, in the text before us, we're shown the two paths that people take in order to try to find God and to have a relationship with Him and to find meaning in life and to find meaning after life. There's two paths that this passage says everyone is going to be on. One of these paths leads to eternal life and blessing and reconciliation with God. The other leads to condemnation, to death, and separation from God. What are these two paths? Here they are. The path to law-keeping, which is what we see in verses 10 through 12, and the path to the cross, verses 13 through 14. Those are the two paths everyone is on. The path of law-keeping or the path to the cross. Let's begin by exploring verses 10 through 12 in the path of law keeping. And I want to read verses 10 through 12 again, so I'm going to invite you to follow along as I read. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. During the bridge course, which as a church you've heard a lot about over the last few months, the, the bridge course that just ended a few weeks ago, if you're not familiar with the Bridge Course, it is a course we offer as a church, and this was our first time offering it. It's a 10-week course exploring the deep questions of life. It gives people opportunity to ask some of the questions and to wrestle with the most important questions of all. And one each, each week we seek to recommend some books that we, we think would be helpful for people that are exploring faith, who are asking big questions about life. And one of those books we recommend is called What's Your Worldview by Dr. James Anderson. There's a reason we we really find this book to be helpful. 
Not only because of the way it's written, it's very short. Each section is very short, but in a very brilliant way, not easy to do. What he does is he lays out all the different worldviews in a simple one page way. But here's where it's really, really helpful. After each page, he asks you a question and then says, if you answer yes, go to page this. If you answer no, go to page this. So I don't know growing up if you ever played Choose Your Own Adventure, but he basically helps you see if you if you want to go down this path of this worldview, okay, then go here. Then you go to that page and he says, oh, here's two more questions. Go, go, yes, go to this page. No, go to this page. And eventually, at some point, it says you've, you've reached the end and here's what you should believe. And sometimes you might be surprised. Well, no, I'm not okay. That's not where I'd want to end. And the point of the book is to show you, well, if, if you believe X, and then you believe X, and you believe X, then why wouldn't you believe that this is where it's going to lead you? Now, why do I mention this book? Because I believe what Paul is doing here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, is similar to what Dr. James Anderson seeks to do in this worldview book. Paul is essentially laying out the two choices that the Galatians have when it comes to how they will pursue God. He's basically giving them their choose-your-own-adventure worldview book, and he's, he's showing them wh where each path will take them. That's what he's doing in this passage. He's saying, listen, there's two paths, and if you choose this path, here's where it's going to lead you. You choose this path, here is where it's going to lead you. Notice, notice what Paul does at the beginning of verse six, uh, 10. Notice that word for. It's an important word because it's pointing us back to what was said prior to this section. And what's happening here in verses 10 through 12 is a point of contrast is being made in these verses in relation to the statement that was just made in verse 9. For example, let me read verse 9 and listen to the difference between 9 and 10. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So faith brings blessing. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a what? A curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Do you see the contrast? I'm going to be blessed, faith. I'm going to trust in the, your works and keeping the commandments, a curse. Now, last week we heard how the people of God, beginning with Abraham, how they inherited a spiritual blessing by faith alone. Kyle just showed us so well, not only in this passage, but going back to the original story of Abraham. Abraham, the father of faith, that all of these Galatians and even the false teachers would have looked at as the poster child for faith. We've got to remember, Abraham did nothing to receive anything good from God. It wasn't because of something he had done, like keep all of God's commandments. No. Abraham inherited all the blessings that he was given because of God's initiative and pursuit 
of him. Abraham didn't do anything to merit it. It wasn't even Abraham's idea. Abraham, as far as we know, as we heard last week, was following false gods. When God comes to him and says, you're going to be the man. I'm going to make promises to, and I'm going to use you to bless the world. All Abraham did was respond to the promises made to him and his family. And how did he respond? By believing that these promises were sure and that these promises were certain. That's what faith is. Faith is just seeing the things that God has said and saying, okay, I'm going to bank on that. I'm going to trust that. I'm going to believe in that. And that's, that's Abraham's example. But instead of following Abraham's example, the Galatian church, they misinterpreted the story of Abraham. And they began to place their hope of being right with God in their good works instead of grace alone. Now, a few weeks ago, we explored what caused this church to place their hope in law-keeping and to begin to reject the message of the gospel. Remember, they had originally believed the message of the gospel, and now they were rejecting it, and they were going back to law-keeping. And we explored the reason why that was. And not only did we see the reason they were tempted to do that, but why we too can be susceptible to the same temptation. Here's what we see, though, in Galatians, so we're not going to get back into what, what, why, why can we be susceptible. Here's what we do see. The reason anyone is tempted to replace grace for law-keeping is not due to logic or reason. That's why Paul is so perplexed. That's why he called them foolish Galatians. That's why he keeps doing what he's doing. He keeps bringing to them the truth of Scripture. What they need is a dose of truth again and again and again. Because if they really stopped and thought, wait, if we believe that, then we believe that, then that's going to lead us here. And so what Paul's doing to serve them is he's, he's, he's giving them this worldview book and saying, okay, if you believe that, let's, let's go along with that. Then it should lead you here. And you realize if you believe that, it's going to lead you here. And, 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 and that's not where you think you want to go, is it? And so Paul is serving this church by, by giving in verses 10 through 12 three assertions. And each one of these then assertions are going to be backed up by a scripture. So as we look at 10 through 12, what I want to do is point out each one of these assertions Paul makes. And like I said, after each assertion, he backs it up with scripture. Here's the first assertion he makes in verse 10. He says, those who look to the law for spiritual life don't find a blessing but a curse. Those who look to the law to do what the law was never meant to do, to find spiritual life, don't find blessing, they find a curse. That's the first assertion he makes. Look again at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, not a blessing. You don't find blessing at the end of that rainbow. You know, there there isn't blessing at the end of the law, but curse. Well, Paul, how can you say that? Well, instead of just Paul saying, well, it's on my own authority, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. 
The very law itself. He points to the law and says, the law actually, if you understand it, would, would help you see that you, the way you're doing it is all wrong. And can I just throw this parenthesis out here in case we're tempted to think, well, maybe Paul's getting it wrong. We can't forget Paul's background. Paul knew the Jewish Scriptures. Paul knew the law of God. Paul was a theologian of the Jewish Scriptures. And he points to Deuteronomy 27, 26. And he backs up this assertion by saying, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Did you hear what he's saying? Why does following the law lead to curse? Here's why. The only way that you can be blessed by the law is if you plan on keeping it all. Good luck. See, that's the point being made here in verse 10. That the law brings about a curse unless you can keep it perfectly. To break any of God's law makes you a what? A lawbreaker. God doesn't say a lawbreaker is if you broke 10, break 20. You break the really bad ones, but not the other ones. To break God's law is to be a lawbreaker. See, to put it plainly, what Paul's saying here is to these Galatians, and we need to hear the say, unless you are perfect and never break one of God's commandments, law keeping will not work in your favor, but to your disadvantage. That's the point he's making. That the law was never meant to be this thing that we say, I can, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. If you could, then you would be blessed. But none of us are able to do that. And therefore, if that's our avenue to get to God, we are not going to find blessing. We are going to find curse. Now, what does the word curse mean? First of all, curse is opposite of blessing. And a curse, using the context of the book of Deuteronomy, is a pronouncement of judgment. It's a pronouncement of judgment along with the consequences that flow from our disobedience to the law. So there's Paul's first assertion. Now here's his second assertion in verse 11. The way to be righteous and to have spiritual life is through faith, not the law. So not only does he say, listen, the, the law will only get you to a curse. He basically then turns around and says, the way to be righteous and to have spiritual life is through faith, not the law. Look at the beginning of verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. In light of the point he just made, the only way you could be justified by the law is if you keep it all and you never break any of it. And since no one can do that, it's evident that's not what the law was for. Then he quotes from the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4, in which we read, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, why does Paul do that? Why does he then go and quote from Habakkuk? What could seem like some random place? Guess what he just did to begin with? He quotes from the law. Now he quotes from one of the prophets. He quotes from early on in the story of Israel, 
And he quotes later on in the story of Israel. And he says, listen, brothers who, who are going to the Old Testament Scriptures and are talking about law-keeping, I don't know what Old Testament you're reading, but whether you read the law or you read the prophets, whether you're reading Moses or you're reading near the end of the Old Testament, which would have been their only Scriptures, that's never been God's plan. He says the righteous were never meant to live by the works of the law, but by faith. Now, what does that mean to live by faith? It doesn't just mean to get up every day and have faith. What it means by saying the, the, the righteous shall live by faith, the righteous will find, will find life through faith, not through law keeping. You want to find life? You want to find spiritual life? You want to find meaning? You want to find purpose? You don't find it by law keeping, but by faith. Faith in what God has done. That is the only way we can be justified before him. That brings us now to our third spiritual assertion. Verse 12. Now, he says, your spiritual state depends totally on you if you seek the path of law keeping. So you see how he's walking them along? He's saying, okay, you, you want to you wanna go the route of law keeping? First of all, you know that law keeping leads to a curse. You realize that God's way of life has always been through faith. And you realize that if you want to play that game, then your spiritual state is in your hands. Because that's the way the law works. Look at verse 12. Beginning of verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Now what does he mean by that? Saying the law is not of faith. He's not speaking disparagingly of the law. It's one of the things we're going to have to guard against as we go along here. Paul is never throwing out the law. He's saying the law has a purpose. And these who are misunderstanding the law are using it wrongly. Here's what he's saying that when he here's what he means when he says the law is not a faith. He's saying the law is all about what you do. Faith is you looking outside of you to what someone else has done. That's the difference. That's how the law is not a faith. The law is about what you failed to do or what you have done. Faith is not about you. It's about you looking outward, looking to someone else, looking to other things to be made right. And he backs up this assertion like he did the other two by going to Scripture. This time, Leviticus 18.5. The one who does them shall live by them. You see what he's saying? He's making this assertion. If you want to Go the path of law keeping, then your spiritual state depends on you. Meaning, you want to live by the law, then, then, your, then your spiritual state is in your hands. Now, can I ask you this question? Is that a comforting thought to you? It's not to me. That right now, my my right standing before God is depending on how I did this week. That, that is not comforting. It is actually troubling. It is scary if that was true. You see what Paul's been doing with these three assertions followed by these three passages of Scripture? What Paul's doing here is he's essentially asking those in the church of Galatia to examine what they believe. 
He's asking them, could you push the pause button for a second? You guys are hearing all this stuff, but you're really not processing it. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm going to go back to Scripture, and I want to show you that if you really keep believing those things, I think you're going to wake up and go, oh, no, <laughs> that's not where we want to be. No, oh, no. And he's, he's, what he's doing is he's helping them to see what they believe, to examine it. Because had they done so, had they really stopped and examined all that they had been taught by these false teachers, they would have realized how detrimental their choice to reject grace for the law-keeping really was. For whatever reason that they're fascinated and enamored by this idea of going to law-keeping, Paul serves them by saying, I want you to just to stop and think about this. And I want to give you some, some things that will help you really process. If you go down that path, where does it lead? As a church, when we share the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ with others, one of the things we're simply doing is we're taking our cue from the Apostle Paul here in Galatians chapter 3. Have you thought about that? It's one of the things we're doing when we're sharing our faith. It's not just that we're telling people the good news of the gospel. One of the things we are seeking to do is we are seeking to ask people to stop and consider what path they've chosen to get to God and why. So before we tell them how to get there, we're asking them, how do you think you get there? It's a fascinating conversation to ask people, how do you think you get there? How, how do you think you arrive at a place of being made right with God and having a relationship with God? At sharing our faith with people, what, what we're doing is we're asking them whether or not they really believe that they're good enough to be forgiven by God and to be rewarded with eternal life. One of the tracks you'll find out there on our table that we highly recommend, it, it's, a, it's connected with the bridge course, it's a little track called, How Good Are You? And the reason we love this track is it's just Galatians 3. Because it starts out with this question we're to ask someone we're sharing the gospel with. How would you rate your goodness on a scale of 1 to 10? You know what most people say? 6 or 7. But as you make your way through, you realize, okay, what's... What's God's standard? Is it a six or a seven? And maybe you're a little presumptuous. Maybe you're not a six or a seven. And that's the way you want to live your life. That's the, that's the way you want to think about eternity. Is well, I, 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 I think I'm good enough. I think I'm a six. I think I'm a seven. And I think God, God, God's okay with a six or a seven. At least I'm not Hitler, right? When we share the gospel with people, what we are doing is we're, we're asking them to think about what they believe. And I wonder if there may be some here today who are in a similar place. You're putting off questions about your belief in God, about salvation, about life and death and eternity and Jesus. And I just want to ask you a few questions. Why are you putting off such an important topic? Maybe say, it's, it's just, I don't know, every time I get into it, it just it feels complicated, it feels controversial, I'm confused, I hear from one person say this, and I hear another person say this, and I, I get that, that's hard. 
But why are you putting off the most vital questions you could ever ask and answer? And whatever it is you do believe, because here's the reality. You may say, well, you know, I don't really have thoughts about all that stuff. I just kind of try to not do all of that. Maybe one day when I get older, maybe one day if I'm, a, I'm on my deathbed, I'll think through that. I really don't have a worldview. Here's the reality. You do. So here's my other question. Why do you believe what you believe? Are you willing to bank everything on it? Well, I don't really believe in a God. Okay, how do you know He's not real? Well, I do believe in a God, but I don't, I, I don't believe Christianity is the only way. Okay. Well, how do you know that? See, all I'm asking this morning is that you not take such a vital topic and, and put it on the back burner. I'm asking you to, to look and to see, what, what do I really believe? Because what you really believe about these things, they, they matter. Now, let me circle back around to where we began. There are two paths that people take to get to God. The path of law-keeping, seeking to be good enough, which we've seen is a dead-end road. It doesn't bring about life. It doesn't bring us into a relationship with God. But there's a second path. There's a second path. And this second path, listen, the second path, no other religion except for Christianity offers. You need to know that. People that say, oh, all religions are the same, nope. Not only do they, anybody in any other religion disagree with that, any other religion in Christianity are radically different because Christianity offers a second path that no other religion offers. Every other religion is about what you must do. Christianity is not about that. See, this second path is a path that God has made possible in order for us to come to Him. It's not about what we must do, but what God has done for us. Us. And that brings us now to the path of the cross, or the path to the cross, verses 13 through 14. I just want to read the beginning of verse 13 again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Can I just encourage you to take that in for just a moment? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In that single sentence, we find one of the most powerful and yet one of the most provocative statements in all of Scripture about the message of the Gospel. That single line here in Galatians 3, verse 13, is one of the most succinct lines about the gospel. It is powerful and yet it is provocative. Look at it again and listen carefully. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What does that mean? That Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. Here's what it means. Before we can delight in what God has done for us, we first must be aware of the curse He had to deliver us from. 
See, to hear the message of the gospel accurately or to share the message of the gospel faithfully, here's what we must do. Whether you're on the receiving end and you're hearing the message of the gospel or you are on the giving end and you are sharing the message of the gospel, here's what we must not do. We must not ignore the bad news in a rush to get to the good news. And the bad news is that we are all under the curse of God due to our sin. That is the bad news. God is holy and we have rebelled against Him and His ways. Therefore, we are separated from Him and we are deserving of His wrath. That's the bad news. And the bad news must be proclaimed and understood in every gospel presentation. We can't just say, well, it's all about the love of God. But we can't understand the love of God unless we understand how loving He is to give us what we do not deserve. I love this story from the late Bible teacher and author, R.C. Sproul. He shares this in the opening pages of his book, Saved from What? Great book. Listen to this. First lines of the book. Are you saved? In parentheses. He says, I recall vividly a time more than three decades ago when he wrote this book. In 1969, when I was asked this question. He goes on to say, these were the volatile days of the 60s, the era of cultural revolution in America. I was a professor of theology at Conwell School of Theology on the the campus of Temple University in Philadelphia. On one such day, I sought an hour's solace and quietude from the cacophony in the faculty dining room. I stretched my lunch hour to the limit in order to squeeze out every moment of peace I could enjoy. As the noon hour ended, I deposited my lunch tray in the bin and began my trek across the plaza to my classroom. I was walking briskly to avoid being late. I was alone. Minding my own business, suddenly, apparently out of nowhere, a gentleman appeared in front of me, blocking my forward progress. He looked me in the eye and asked me directly, are you saved? I wasn't quite sure how to respond to his intrusion. I uttered in response the first words that came to my mind. Saved from what? What I was thinking, but had the grace not to say was, I'm certainly not safe from strangers buttonholing me and asking me questions like yours. But when I said, safe from what? I think the man who stopped me that day was as surprised by my question as I had been of his. He began to stammer and stutter. Obviously, he wasn't sure how to respond. Safe, safe from what? Well, you know what I mean. You, you, do you know Jesus? And he tried to give me a brief summary of the gospel. Dr. Sproul writes this. This encounter left an impression on me. I experienced real ambivalence. On the one hand, I was delighted in my soul that someone cared enough about me, even though I was a stranger, to stop me and ask me about my salvation. But it was clear That though this man had a real zeal for salvation, he had little understanding of what salvation is. 
He was using Christian jargon. The words fell from his lips without being processed by his mind. As a result, his words were empty of content. Clearly, the man had a love for Christ and a concern for people. Few Christians had the courage to engage perfect strangers in evangelistic discussion. But sadly, he had little understanding of what he was so zealously trying to communicate. That's a helpful, helpful thing to think about. May this not be true of us. May we not be those who have a zeal for evangelism but lack a knowledge of the gospel. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, it, it informs us in light of that question what does it mean? Are you saved? These two verses tell us what that really means. And here's what we discover from these two verses. We are saved by God, from God, for God. I want to encourage you to remember that. Any of those three get left, we're not sharing the gospel. Saved by God, from God, for God. Let's begin with saved by God. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did did God redeem us? From the curse of the law. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth, lived a perfect life in our place, and died to pay the penalty for our sins. And He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming cursed for our sake by dying on a cross. And Paul makes this point yet again. By pointing to the book of Deuteronomy. He says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, why why does Paul make that reference here? When he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And he says, then from Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. What's what's he doing? The, The point he's making is this. According to Scripture and according to the customs of that day, the death of Jesus would have been viewed as scandalous. And it most certainly was, and it most certainly is. It's scandalous. The cross of Christ is scandalous. And because of that, listen, we can be tempted to tone down talk about Jesus dying on the cross. But we must never do that. We must never do that. Apart from the cross of Christ, there is no way to come to God. We can't just talk about the love of God. We can't say, oh, don't you know God loves you? Well, how do we know the love of God? Through the cross of Christ. We must proclaim the cross. We must proclaim Christ and Him crucified if we want to share the gospel with others. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Though it may sound foolish... It is foolish by design. No one hears it and loves it 
unless God does a work in their heart and they realize what Christ has done for them on their behalf. See, the cross was scandalous then and it is scandalous now. The cross of Christ is not only scandalous because Jesus was cursed for us, but the cross of Christ is scandalous because it testifies that we deserve the curse for our sin. That's the second thing. What does it mean to be saved? We're saved by God from God. By stating, as he does, that we are under the curse of the law, Paul is in no way trying to make draw attention to the law of God in and of itself. He's actually drawing attention to the lawgiver himself. That's what he's doing. To break God's law is to rebel against Him, and therefore we deserve His divine displeasure and punishment for our sin. Now let's be clear. To say we are saved by God, from God, sounds extremely confusing. You almost think, well, which one is it? Is God schizophrenic? I mean, why? So is there a side of Him that's saying, I've got to judge these people on another side. I said, please don't do that. Please, they're, they're my people. It can sound confusing, but it's absolutely essential for us to grasp this if we want to have a right understanding of the gospel. God is just, and He cannot overlook sin. And yet, God is simultaneously merciful, full of grace, and abounding in love. And the cross of Christ is the place where the justice of God and the mercy of God meet. You see, the path to the cross is the pathway to God. We want people to get to God? Well, the pathway to God is through the path of the cross. And that brings us to the third thing it means to be saved. Not only are we saved by God, from God, we're saved for God. Look at verse 14. It begins with the word, so that. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So here Paul says, why, why did all this take place? Why, why was Abraham chosen to be this father of this new nation? Why did Christ come? You want to know the purpose of it all? That's what the word those two words, so that means. Here's the purpose of it all. Here's the moral of the story. It's that the promises made to Abraham, the father of faith, might spread to all people everywhere. That's the point being made. And if we were to go a little bit further and say, okay, what is the promise made to Abraham that he, he received through faith that's, that, that's given to everyone? Well, the second and last half of verse 14 tells us that so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Those aren't two separate things. The first one stating God's redemptive plan, and then it comes to complete focus in Christ. All God has always been doing, all throughout Scripture, has been the same thing. God has been making promises to His people that can only be accessed through faith. And... And that faith leads us to Christ where we then inherit those promises. So what is the promise? His presence. His presence. Look at the end of verse 14. 
so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Did you hear that? That is the purpose of salvation. That we might receive the very presence of God. We are not saved so that we don't have to go to hell. We're not saved so we can see Aunt Sally again. I fear that many people will be okay with a heaven where it's streets of gold and pain-free and there is no more problems and there are angels and there are streets of gold and every family member they love, if God wasn't there, they would be just fine with it. That is an American gospel, not a biblical gospel. The point of salvation, that we would have a relationship with God. Now, the kind of relationship we have with God will be explored in greater detail in chapter 4, so I'm not going to unpack that now. Let me just say this as I close. I want to ask you this, this question. Which of the two paths to God are you on? In which of these two paths do you offer to others? Because there's only two paths. Which one are you on? And which one are you offering to others? How would you answer those two questions this morning as you leave here? See, we're not here just to hear a good talk. We're, we're not just here to take away some doctrinal truth. We're here so that God could address us. And the question He wants us all to wrestle with is, are the most important questions of all. What path have we chosen? That's our worldview. Are we aware that if we go this path, this is where it leads? If we go this path, this is where it leads? Are we just so caught up in the everyday life? That we're like, oh, I don't really give a lot of time to that. What path are you on? The path of law keeping or the path to the cross? You see, it's essential for the health of this church that LifeGate be a place that points people to the cross and to Christ. That's why we need books like Galatians to strengthen our mission, to remind us that we must point people to the cross and to Christ. So I want to close out this message by praying for us as a church. We've been making our way through the book of Galatians each week. Hopefully we're hearing things that apply to us individually. But sometimes I think we can forget the book of Galatians wasn't written to a bunch of Christians individually. It was written to a church. And one of the questions we want to be asking along the way is, what does this mean for us as a church? And I think God is reminding us that we must keep Christ and the cross central, that we must never lose sight of the grace of God. And we are all tempted to do that. The older we get, the more familiar we are with the songs and the sermons and the Scripture passages. We can lose our wonder and our grasp of the Gospel. And we can begin to think, I'm glad I got saved by faith, but now I'm moving on to bigger and better things. And God wants to just keep reminding us that it, it, it doesn't get any better than the grace of God and the Gospel that we see in Jesus Christ. That is the foundation in which we must place our faith. It's the reason we gather every Sunday. It's the reason we sing the songs we sing. It's the reason we do all the things we do because of the grace of God. So let me pray for us as we close that God would give us evangelistic zeal, but also a knowledge of the gospel.
Lord, would you help us now? There are many needs in this room, Lord, that I'm I'm aware of, and there are many needs I don't know anything about, but you know. So, Lord, I pray that you do your work. You would minister to people as they've heard your word proclaimed. But, Lord, I do pray for anyone here this morning who cannot say with certainty, I'm on the path to the cross. I've put my faith in Jesus. My righteousness and my standing with God are not based on what I failed to do or what I have done, but in Christ alone. Oh, Lord, if there's anyone here like that, would you help them see they didn't come here by coincidence. You brought them here to hear this message. May they respond by putting their faith in Christ, repenting of their sins, and trusting in the promise. And may they know you and have a relationship with you. And Lord, as a church, may we not be people who just talk about the gospel and sing about grace and yet not have a knowledge that backs up and undergirds what we're singing about and what we're talking about. Lord, may we May we, through this letter, have a better grasp of this gospel we hold so dear. And Lord, as we see this gospel of grace, may it compel us to tell others around us, family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, the nations. Lord, May we be a church that wants people to know there aren't two paths to God. There's only one. And Lord, that we would invite people to come and to be saved, to be forgiven, and for their lives to be changed. Make us that kind of church, Lord. But thank you for your word. Thank you for addressing us this morning. How kind of you. You give us so many good gifts. Thank you for the gift of of your word. Thank you for the gift of preaching that, Lord, through, through this time, Lord, we have heard you address us. Now help us to live out what we've heard. We confess we cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to do this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.